Hey guys, Deirdre Mullenby here and welcome to this bonus episode to The Film Show, the second of its kind. Uh, The first one we talked to Rob Cohen, the director of The Hurricane Heist, and he did stuff like Triple X and The Fast and Furious in the past. So you can check that out on the podcast series as well. Um, In this episode, I talked to Chris Kelly, who is the director behind A Cambodian Spring, which is this really amazing um, documentary that's out at the moment. It looks at the corruption behind the development of Buang Kak Lake in Phom Penh. And I apologize if I haven't pronounced any of those words correctly and have um, offended anyone. But basically, um, there are these residents living in this area of Cambodia and they're told that um, the area they live in is going to be developed. And essentially what ends up happening is a lake is pumped right through their homes and they're forced into poverty. So this film follows a few of those characters, the ones who protest, and then also this um, extraordinary monk called Venerable Luan Svath. Again, apologies for the pronunciation. But yes, so I talked to Chris Kelly all about um, the movie because it is his directorial debut. And yeah, we have a really good chat. It's a really interesting, powerful documentary. So I definitely recommend um, checking it out after you listen to this. So congratulations, Chris, on A Cambodian Spring. It was such a powerful, moving documentary. So I wanted to say congratulations on it, first of all. Thank you very much. I was wondering, what was the initial inspiration behind the film? Um, Well, I had been to Cambodia in 2006 as a tourist, Mm -hmm. um, backpacking around Southeast Asia and really kind of fell in love with the country then. I was really amazed by the generosity and warmth of people there but also quite fascinated by the history and the turmoil that the country had very recently been through with the Khmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. I was aware of the fact that pretty much anyone over the age of 45 or so that you talk to there has survived a genocide, either you know as a victim or a perpetrator yes. during the Khmer Rouge. So there was this really sort of um, interesting background to the country that was just underneath the surface. And I, I wanted to, to make a film there. But I wanted to look at something that was happening uh, in modern Cambodia rather than looking back at the history. There have been a lot of really great documentaries made about the Khmer Rouge and that, but nobody seemed to be really looking at what was going on in modern-day Cambodia. And so I did some research. Um, I came up with the story of the forced evictions and land grabbing and then went to the Irish Film Board in Northern Ireland screen and asked for some funding from them and was successful in that and then went back in 2009 to start filming. I mean, I was really, you know, struck by the amount of access you were actually able to get in this film. But there were moments as well where you were kind of told to stop filming and everything. So I'd imagine there were quite a lot of challenges in making a film like this along the subject matter and some on something so contemporary. Can you tell us a bit about what were some of the biggest difficulties that you faced during the filmmaking process? Um, yeah, certainly. Um, when you know, when we started out to make the film, the plan was originally just to spend about three months there. We were going to shoot with a cinematographer that we were flying in from New York, and we were going to film a kind of a fairly one-dimensional social issue documentary with lots of sit-down interviews and everything, kind of exploring what the forced evictions and land rights situation was in Cambodia. But once we got there and I met the Venerable Sovat and the other people in the film, I, I decided that actually what would be much more interesting would be to try to document things as they were really unfolding and as they were happening in real time, because this was such a current thing and there were you know, forced evictions and protests happening all the time. So it seemed to make sense to try to uh, cover that as it was happening, as it, as it unfolds in the film. So that was really 
one of the major challenges was being able to communi- stay in communication with the communities very regularly to make sure that we were up to speed in terms of what was happening each week um, in the country so that we were there with the cameras and ready to film whenever things were happening because you don't always know exactly what's going to be an important scene and what isn't going to be important until you know much later in the process. As far as like filming as a journalist or filmmaker was concerned, I was actually pretty much left alone by the authorities um, almost entirely. I never published any of the work during the time that I was there, so they never really knew what I was doing exactly. I was So I was left alone. I had a press pass um, from my company and was allowed to film freely the, the whole time. I think the situation now is probably much worse mm-hmm. for foreign and for local journalists. Uh, there's been a real crackdown on, on the press, um, freedom of the press. And in fact, many of the Cambodian filmmakers and journalists, video journalists, who contributed footage to my film are, are currently in prison, actually, on charges of espionage. So the situation now is, is much more difficult, I think, than it was for me then. And I'm not sure what uh, reception I would receive should I go back to Cambodia now after the film has been published, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I mean, some of the images in this film are so, like, striking. They're so emotive. You know, you're seeing people's building, their homes being torn down, and there are, like, women crying mm. and children screaming. I mean, how do you stay unemotional and detached as is kind of maybe your role as a documentarian? Or is it possible to stay unemotional and detached in those circumstances? I mean, yeah, it's it's very hard because these are people that you spend a huge amount of time with and obviously you have some sympathy towards. Um, anybody would, would feel sympathetic towards somebody whose house is being demolished for, for no good reason and nobody's been given any kind of fair compensation. Uh, I think really because the people had been so open and generous and brave and willing to allow me to film their stories and they had put themselves at greater risk of being singled out and persecuted by the authorities by being associated with me, I felt a real obligation to make sure that I was able to tell their story as as honestly and truly as possible. And so in those situations, I think I just tried to stay as professional as possible and tried to capture things as much as possible and document what was really happening in order to, to not do a disservice to them, in order to be able to try and tell their story uh, truly, you know. I was hoping to ask you a bit about, and you mentioned him there earlier, Venerable Luan Savat, the monk, who really is incredible and he has such a presence in the film. How did you initially meet him? Yeah, I, I came across him at a press conference, actually, when I'd first arrived in Cambodia, just about a month after I'd arrived. He was there um, with a little one of those little Nokia N76 or something, those old camera phones. And he was filming his community who were there delivering um, a petition, I think, to calling for the release of their villagers who were in prison. And I thought it would be... I realised he was filming and I thought it would be interesting to... Uh, document another filmmaker and mm-hmm. see sort of you know reflect on the role that documentary plays in the wider political context. And I had no idea that you know obviously over the six years things were going to develop in the way that they did. But it was originally his uh, filmmaking that that drew me to him. That's so funny because that was one of the things that really struck me as I was watching it was the idea of you having this kind of documentarian within the documentary itself. So that was something you kind of had because that's what I was going to ask you about if that was something that happened almost by accident. But from what you describe, it was really like an idea that was kind of core to the film from a very early stage, if I understand correctly. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. It was very much um, a, a conscious decision to film with him um, because he was a filmmaker, um, because I was able to then reflect on the role that documentary plays, you know, in the wider sort of political social context. And in fact, you know, throughout the film, some of the key scenes in the film are actually documented by the venerable himself, so that at certain points in the film, we try to make it his film and that it was from his point of view only and his perspective and so all of the camera angles and everything, all the shots are shot by him and that was something that we very consciously wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that people understood that this is his perspective and his view on things because even you know today he's still documenting and filming and mm -hmm. uh, posting videos on social media and on Facebook Live. I think when he puts his Facebook live things on, he gets more than 200,000 uh, wow. viewers quite often when he's filming protests and stuff. Yeah, so it's a very, he's still a very relevant documentarian in the Cambodian context. I mean, it's, I really admired how a Cambodian spring was, you know, you mentioned there before how you wanted to create this really kind of, you know, of its time film and everything and you organise it so well by chapters and you really understand what's going on and what period you're set in and everything. Um, and I just thought it was organised kind of so well and succinctly. Sometimes you can get kind of, you know, mixed up in the documentary and everything. But um, I was wondering mm. if there was a particular maybe scene or sequence in the film. Like there are so many... It consists of all of these little moments, but was there any maybe moment or scene that you were really kind of proud of when you put all together and you were like, yeah, I'm really, I'm that scene ended up even exceeding what I was kind of hoping for it or what I expected from it? Um, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, there, I mean, we spent a long, long time editing the film. We spent well over a year. Yeah. And we worked with multiple different editors, um, editors with experience in editing fiction drama as well as documentary. And we were very lucky to have a really, really brilliant and experienced editor working with us in the beginning. Um, and... You know, the, that process, like I was, I took a step back at that point and allowed the editor to kind of help construct the story a little bit as well. And he chose the scenes and the moments that he also thought were interesting from his kind of new outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. But there were definitely, there are definitely some scenes like with the daughter of Stray Poe when she's speaking with her mother on the phone. It's always yes. those kind of human moments that were most, that I was most drawn to. And because I was trying to find something that in, in this foreign place I was trying to find something that I understood you know because often I was filming without a translator and so having to kind of film based off of what you sort of under felt you understood from the scene at the time and so it's a lot of it's very kind of based on just how you're how, how you're interpreting the scene emotionally as you're filming and when that came through in the editing as well and I was able to see like the moments when Strapo's daughter's having these very touching moments talking with her mother when her mother's in the prison or when uh, at the very beginning you see Strapo stuttering and, and not being being quite nervous about speaking in public. Mm -hmm. I thought some of those kinds of moments and also the scene that opens and closes the film with Strapo uh, I also thought was very moving. Um, they would be things that would stand out for me, I think. And of course, you know, moments with the venerable whenever you see the whole community, his, all of his villagers rallying around him and defending him and helping him out and things like that are also very, uh, very moving. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful moments in it. Um, I just had a couple of more questions for you, Chris, then about the movie. First of all, yeah. I was wondering, A Cambodian Spring, it's been shown all over the world. It's won a bunch of awards. Um, what has meant the most to you so far in its journey? 
Um, well, I mean, of course, it's great to have all of these awards and recognition. We're very, very grateful for that. I'm grateful to be able to show it to people all over the world. I think the most important thing for me would be to be able to show it to as many Cambodian people as possible, mm-hmm. and not, not to offer it as a definitive take on what happened during those years, but to offer it as a perspective, as my obviously very subjective perspective as an outsider and a foreigner. But I think it's really important, especially um, considering how much state control there is over the media and the press and information that as many Cambodian people as possible get to see it. So that's really my, that would be my ultimate goal and the thing that I would like to to try and achieve in in the end is for it. That's brilliant, brilliant. Um, What would you like most... Around the world as possible. (laughs) Yes. Um, Is there anything you'd like, now that it's made its way here to Ireland, what would you like most for audiences here in Ireland to take away from it? I mean, you know, I think it's a story of hope, and I hope that that's what people can take away from as well, that there's good and bad in everybody, and that we have to forgive our friends when they make mistakes, and that we are much stronger when we're together than when we're on our own. Um, And then my very last question for you, Chris, is what's next? Do you have anything lined up in the pipeline, or are you just kind of taking a breather after, you know, I'm sure that that was like a major you know, project and everything. Yeah, this I've been working on this film for 25% of the time that I've been alive. Wow. I worked out recently. So, yeah, it's been a long-term project and a real labor of love. So I think um, I'll take a little bit of a break. But, yeah, I do have, there's another project in Southeast Asia about slavery in the Thai fishing industry that I'm working on. So that's kind of in development at the moment and will hopefully be finished in the next couple of years. I'm hoping it won't take nine more years, but... <laughs> So that was my interview with director Chris Kelly. His film A Cambodian Spring is out in Irish cinemas nationwide now.